we are in part 10. Part 10. I, I don't know if I've ever even said part 10 of any series. And there is no end in sight, y'all. I may be preaching This Is Us all the way to Easter. Would it be all right? Somebody shout, This Is Us. Praise God. Part one, we preach This Is Us, we give. Part two, we said we give first. We preached about first fruits. Part three, we talked about the foundation of us, and that is love. We love. Part four, we talked about connecting with each other. We connect and do community together. Number five, part five, we preached on we have favor. Part six, we preached we praise. Can I get some praisers in the house and make a little noise? Number seven, we preached we are planted. We got roots that go deep. We bunch of redwoods in the house, praise God. Part eight, we preached that we believe. You better know what you believe. And last week, we preached that we were focused. You know, you can't wear somebody else's glasses. Come on, somebody, just to help your focus. You better get your prescription. You better let the great physician adjust you so you can see what you're supposed to be seeing. Are y'all hearing me? So today is part 10. Get that worship guide out, and we will give you your first note, and it's the title of today. This is us. We sacrifice. Oh, yeah, that's what, I, that's what I'm talking about. That's what hit me. Because that's what you do at an altar, is you bring a sacrifice. Can I get an amen? Somebody shout, we sacrifice. God's been speaking to me about sacrifice, a lot about sacrifice. The modern-day church is afraid to even talk about asking people to sacrifice. Preachers are worried and scared to ask their congregation to put a demand on their congregation to step out of their comfort zone and do things that make them uncomfortable. Because they're afraid if they do that, though, because nowadays we've got such a culture of offense. Well, oh, hey, bless God, preachers trying to take advantage of me and use me. Whoop, just pop over like a little bunny rabbit to the next church. Huh? Now, you may or may have not ever heard of this, this, these words before called the greatest generation. The greatest generation is known as the World War II generation. Here's why they're called the greatest generation. It's not because those people were better than people today. Because how many of those God's no respecter of persons? But that it was a generation of sacrifice. While the men were fighting a war all over the world, thus the name World War, and thousands on a weekly basis were being killed, all those that were back here in America were asked to sacrifice. Many women in that day and time, and you got to understand that, that that day and time, most women did not work a job. But you know what? They came out of their comfort zones and went into the, to the factories and began, what do they call that woman that's in that poster? What? What? Rosie the Riveter. Y'all remember her? She's got, she's doing something like this, flexing that muscle. And what it, what it was is that was talking about, listen, our men, our husbands, our sons are dying. They need tanks. They need different kinds of things. Do you understand that? I'm going to get uh, too a little weird on here, but you need to understand what, the, the, what happened. Lingerie companies went out of business because women was not buying lingerie. Number one, their husbands were fighting, but they felt like 
They needed, listen, whether you agree with it or not, they felt wrong dressing themselves up in lace and all of that But while their husbands were sacrificing. So lingerie businesses went out of business. Tire manufacturers stopped making tires for cars, and they took their rubber and they made it for things that was used in, in battle and war. Auto manufacturers started making tanks, started making armored vehicles, and, and lost millions and millions of dollars of revenue because all they could do on this side was to sacrifice all they could do to make sure those that were in in harm's way had what they needed to have. So this nation fought that war together. It wasn't just we sent people to fight it. We fought it back here by sacrifice. I mean no disrespect to anyone in this room because I'm a part of this room. So I'm talking to me too. I don't know if America could ever do that again. We, because why? We are spoiled rotten. We, we think that war now needs to be something like a video game and that we're just going to send airplanes in and do everything by air and we don't think that anybody ever has to get on the ground. But let me tell you something. War, war is, an, is, an, is a nasty thing. But the, peop, the people back home Man, this ain't what I'm supposed to preach today, but can I just go ahead and be real with y'all? That's the reason Vietnam went down the way it did. It's not, not, not just the main reason. A lot of things, Washington, a lot of things that they did was stupid. It caused our soldiers to hands to be tied to not be able to win that battle. But one of the biggest problems was is when they was calling home and writing home, their mamas and their daddies were calling them baby killers instead of praying for them and lifting them up. So there was no support here at home. There was no cause for sacrifice here at home. It was just put the boys on a plane, send them over there. If they make it back home, we'll spit on them when they they come back. We lost the sacrifice on this end. And can I tell you something? Because of that, if we're ever put in that kind of situation again, I don't think we can win the way we won before because we're too spoiled. We don't want to give up what we have for the sake of someone else. My God, I'm preaching good. What kind of pastor do you want? Do you want to hear the truth? You can't even imagine your life without your smartphone. You can't even imagine your life without internet. But what if you had to give all that up for the sake of someone else being able to be successful to defend your family? Woo! See, it's time for the church, the corporate church, and it's time for this church to begin to take some ownership of the call of God on their lives. It's time for you to come out of the mindset of it's the pastor's job. That's the same mind, mindset that says, well, what happens overseas is none of my business until your son or your husband is sent there. The Americanized version of the church is weak, anemic, and lazy. Would you agree it's time for a change? Birmingham needs a church where people can come of all races and all backgrounds and all financial abilities to come and hear the truth. It's time for Birmingham to have a revival. It's time for Birmingham to come back to the altar. It's time for us to get off our rear ends and begin to do what God has called us to do. See, here's what, here's what the problem is, though, with sacrifice in the modern church. 
is nowadays we have a group of people that says, Jesus paid the price. Jesus made the sacrifice. Therefore, there is no more need for me to sacrifice. Let me stop and say this. Jesus paid the price for our sins. There is nothing you can do to atone for your sins. You cannot earn your salvation. Please understand that your pastor is emphatic in saying the only way you are saved is to be born again by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, repentance of your sins, and asking Jesus Christ to come into your heart and save you. I'm not talking about earning salvation, earning favor, earning healing. I'm just talking about a sense of responsibility, a sense of, you know, you raise your kids, if you raise them right, you raise them to one day become a man or a woman and begin to do some things for themselves and for their family. Paul said, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I acted like a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. See, the next thing you notice is this, Jesus' sacrifice for us does not remove our sacrifice for his kingdom. Oh, some of you like it, some of you don't like it, but I don't care. I'm going to show you what the Bible says. Jesus' sacrifice for us does not remove our mandate of sacrifice for his kingdom. Exodus 35, of course, this is Old Testament. The Bible says, And Moses spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded, saying, Take from among you an offering to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart. Somebody say a willing heart. Let, let them bring him an offering to the Lord, gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, scarlet thread, fine linen and goat's hair, ram skin, dyed red, badger skins, and acacia wood, oil for the light and spices for the anointing of the sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod of the breastplate. So in the Old Testament, I know we're not in the Old Testament, but in the Old Testament, they understood sacrifice. Can I get an Amen. God commands that the people bring an offering for the construction of the tabernacle. So when it was time to build the tabernacle, God said, bring an offering, bring all the jewels, bring all the gold. How many knows God is God's house, but God's people build that house? How many knows God's got his hand on this house? But God's hand didn't come down here and jerk that desk up out in the foyer. He moved on men to come and take it up. The gra- God's got his hand on this house, but God don't come down and get on a riding lawnmower and cut the grass, men. Men. And by the way, we don't pay anybody to cut the grass, men. We have men that volunteer to cut the grass, men. See, when you're being requested by God to bring Precious metals, fine linens, dyed skins, oils, precious stones, and spices, they all have one thing in common. They are your possessions. He he didn't say, go rob somebody of their stuff and bring me their stuff. He said, bring me an offering of what you have. Exodus 36.3 says this. Watch this. This blows my mind. They were so obedient in the Old Testament now. They didn't have grace. They didn't have mercy. They didn't have favor. They didn't have the gifts of the Spirit. They didn't have what we have here. They didn't even have a Bible. All they had was the command of the man of God from thus said the Lord. And watch what happened. 
Exodus 36.3 says, they continue bringing free will offerings every morning. Every morning they got up and they went and brought an offering. Not every Sunday. Every day. Why? Because they had a sense of ownership of the house of God. They had a vision. Now watch what this is. This is powerful. The craftsmen who were working on the sanctuary, entered, they encountered a very unusual problem. In fact, so rare that it's hardly ever seen. Exodus 36.5 said this. 36.5, put that one up there. Watch what happens. And they spoke to Moses saying, the people bring much more than enough. For the service of the work which the Lord has commanded us to do. So they, 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 they had to run. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. The construction workers who was building the temple came to the priests and said, Look, we got something we need to talk to you about. What is it? You, got, you ain't got enough money? You got, we got to increase the budget? No, 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 no. They're bringing too much. How I many of those in America, there ain't never been a church that had anybody run to the pastor and say, Pastor, we just counted the offering. It's too much. They bring more than enough. Now, wait a minute. This ain't old. This is Old Testament. Let's continue. Verse 6. Watch this. So Moses gave a commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Listen, let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people were restrained from bringing. For the material that they had was sufficient for all the work to be done. Indeed, too much. Can you imagine a mind of I'm putting God's vision ahead of everything that I'm working for and believing for in my life? I'm not stopping till I see God do what he wants to do. So much so that Moses had to literally make a proclamation and say, go throughout the camp and say, this is the words of Moses. You will not be permitted to bring anything else. We don't have enough room to even store it. Can you imagine? See, here's what I want to get to you. I don't care if it's Old Testament or New Testament. I don't care. Do you understand the people that gave were not living in the palace? These were not wealthy people. So that meant if you are bringing so much so that there has to be a decree that the tabernacle has too much, please, 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 I'm begging you, stop. There had to have been a lot of sacrifice involved. Huh? Somebody say sacrifice. Let's look in the New Testament. In the books of Mark and Luke, we read a, a, bo a, both of them tell the same story of sacrificial giving, what is known as the widow and the two might. Listen to what, how Mark tells it. As she came, you know the story, she came and, and she just brought two mites, which is actually less than two pennies. 
but it was all that she had. Watch what happens, how Mark says it in Mark chapter 12, verse 41. Now, Jesus sat opposite of the treasury and saw, watch this, he was watching how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in what? Much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrants. Listen to how Luke says it. Luke chapter 21, verses 3 through 4 says this. Truly I say to you, this is about the same woman, that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all of these, out of their abundance have put offerings for God, but she, out of her poverty, put in all the livelihood that she had. In other words, a million dollars to a billionaire is not sacrifice. On the same level as somebody giving a quarter when they only got a dollar. Are you hearing me? Sacrifice is not tied to the amount. Sacrifice is tied, oh, y'all ain't going to like this, to the cut. If it don't cut you, it ain't a sacrifice. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. If it don't bleed on the altar, it's not a sacrifice. Hmm. See, Jesus, the Bible said, sat at the temple. Uh oh, watching what people were giving. Can I tell you something? He wasn't judging people, but but how many knows the Bible tells us over and over again that the way people respond with their possessions many times will reveal their heart. See, we we do this. Oh, preach it, Pastor, preach it. Oh, God, I want to do everything you've called me to do, God. I want to be your servant. If you ain't a tither, what is God hearing? What, how is that sounding to God? So, sounds a little um, double-minded. Is this good preaching? I don't preach a lot on tithing. I'm not preaching on tithing now. That ain't what sacrifice is about. It ain't about money. This is about giving of yourself from top to bottom, selling out to the call of God. It's hard, it's hard for you to to be perceived by the Lord as all in if you're not a giver. Because, because the Bible says you'll love one of two things. You'll either love God or you'll love money. You'll be led by God or you'll be led by money. Now, you say, well, I'm not led by money. Well, if you're led by your bills, you're being led by money. If your heart and your lifestyle is tied to what you owe and what you got to pay or you're going to lose something, it's the same thing as being led by money. You've turned your bills, you've turned Alabama Power, you've turned AT&T, you've turned your cable into an idol because you're choosing that over God. You know why it's easy for you to do that? Because you don't understand sacrifice. When you understand sacrifice, you understand that God's not going to let you go under. He's going to take you over, but he's going to do that for the people who are all in. Man, I can feel some of y'all hitting me with stuff right now. I can feel it. So I ain't going to let it stop me. Can't touch this. Nah, 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 nah. I can feel some of y'all's eyeballs trying to cut me. That ain't the kind of cutting I'm talking about, y'all. Y'all can't cut me. 
See, watch this. Matthew 26, verse 6 through 7, gives us another example of sacrificial giving. It's a story of, of Jesus sitting down with his disciples in the home of Mary and Martha. Watch what happens. And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask. Some translations say an alabaster box of a very costly fragrant oil could have been worth a lot, was worth a lot of money, could have done a lot of things for herself or even her family. But when she was in the presence of God, what did she do? She broke it apart and she poured it on his head and she anointed Jesus as he sat at the table. But watch what happens. It was the religious people in the room that got mad at her. The first thing that Judas spoke up and said, this could have been sold and could have been given to the poor, the money. First of all, that was a cop-out. He, he wasn't going to give nothing to the poor. What's what Jesus said in, in, in verse 12, Matthew 26, 12. He says, for in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. She did it for me. She sacrificed what this could have meant for her for me. She was not going to let me not be anointed. She made a huge sacrifice. Now watch this. And the last thing I want to show you in the New Testament about that is Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. I'm talking about sacrifice because I don't want you to think it's just Old Testament. It's also the New Testament. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 3 through 4. Watch this. For I bear witness. It's talking about New Testament believers. For I bear witness. I am witness to this. That according to their ability, talking about the people of God, yes, and beyond their ability... How many of us, if it's in your ability, it's not a sacrifice? If it's beyond your ability, it's a sacrifice. Am I preaching right? Say amen. According to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with such urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. In other words, we made, the people of God made Paul and all of those that were busy in the ministry to sit down and they served them and Paul didn't want to receive it, but that he was made to receive it by a, 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 a bunch of grateful, sacrificial believers that said, we are going to take care of you and sow into your life. So all of these biblical examples speak of a willingness to not only be a giver of yourself, but to make a sacrifice. The next thing on your notes is this. Somebody say, this is us. We sacrifice. Y'all getting weak on me. A while ago, y'all roared like a lion. Now y'all, this is us. We sacrifice. Where's he making me feel bad? He, he's stepping on my toes. Somebody shout, this is us. We sacrifice. Next thing on your notes is this. Sacrifice means you are willing to give your energy, time, and resources for the benefit of another. Hmm? Your energy, time, and resources for the benefit of another. Old time preachers used to say it this way. What you make happen for others, God will make happen for you. What you sow, that shall you also reap. Jesus himself gave the supreme example with the sacrifice of his life. How many of those he's in that garden? He said, God, if there's another way, Father, if there's another way, let this cup pass from me. Boom, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. What was he seeing coming? He was seeing the sacrifice. 
the God part of him already knew that was coming. But the, the part that said that in the garden was the man part of him. Because nobody, I don't care who you are, wants to be beat with a cat of nine tails, 39 stripes, so beaten so bad that your rib cage and your intestines are exposed. No one wants to be slapped with a rod and spat upon and beat and have a crown of thorns with thorns that long going all the way into, from the skull into your brain. No one wants a sword stuck in their side under the rib cage to rupture the heart to where blood and water falls out. No one who has, who has a person of integrity and never sinned once in their life wants to be completely stripped naked with not a shred of clothes on their body and covered in blood from the top of their head to the soles of their feet with nails driven in their hands and nails driven in their feet and hung up on a cross in the presence of her own, your own mama sitting beneath your naked body in all of the Jerusalem seeing you hey, I mean, uh, uh, hanging up on a, on a cross on top of a tree exposed and mocked between two criminals. He saw all of that. I don't care who you are. No one desires that. But he understood the only way that I can ever take back what the devil stole in the garden is I have to do this sacrifice so that we don't have to anymore. That's why we don't bring the lamb anymore. That's why you ain't seeing the pastor up here. Thank God you're not part of some weird, weird voodoo cult up here where I'm killing chickens and all this kind of stuff and we're slinging chickens' heads around and running blood all over us. Although some weird folks still do that some places. We, I will sling water on you. I will do that. But now watch this. What I'm trying to say is, but you know what? Don't, make, don't mistake that for the fact that every Sunday there is not sacrifice going on in here. There is flesh being cut. You think you're the only one that don't want to be here sometime but still come? How could you not want to be here, Pastor? Look how much fun you have up here. Do you understand the devils I'm battling right now? Do you understand what I'm going to have to deal with when I get home tonight? Do you understand what's going to have to happen before I even walk off this stage? How the enemy comes and torments me and torments my wife and torments my children and my family because of what I'm doing? There have been many times I've sat back behind that curtain and said, No, I'm not going today. I'm not doing this today. I'm sick of my body. Sick in my mind. Sick in my spirit, man. Don't want to be here. God said, you don't have a choice. Not because my name's on the sign and because I'm the pastor of this church. No, you don't have a choice because you are a child of God. You don't get to choose. You told me you were all in. You got a rubber band around your hand telling me you're ready to be stretched. You don't get to tell me one thing out of one side of your mouth and do another thing with the other side. You're either going to let me stretch you or you're a liar. Y'all coming back next Sunday? You still love your pastor? Mm. Thank you for the three people that love me over there. Thank you. See, here's the problem with the church today. You ready? Listen, I'm not preaching against the church. Y'all know, y'all been around me long enough to know I'm a believer in the church. I love the church. I preach in the church. I, I can't stand these people that are always preaching against the church. I'm not saying the church is dead. I'm saying the church is alive and well. I'm just saying the church is a sleeping giant that needs to wake up. People who want, they want comfort more than they want the cross. They want affirmation more than they want the altar. 
They care more about pastor patting them on the back and telling them how proud they are of them than coming down and letting God peel some of the junk off of their lives and getting them free. You'll live any way you want to live in the world and you see me coming, you act like you ain't doing none of it. Y'all do understand that, that if I am your Facebook friend, I see what you put on there. Just saying. But it is amazing to me of the amount of people that when they get mad and leave our church, the first thing they do, the very first person they unfriend is me. Very first one. I don't care. And most of the time I don't even know it until later on I somehow find it out. But, but it's just amazing to me because it's, it's, it's almost a statement. You know what? I don't, want you, I don't want the guilt of knowing you even seeing what I'm about to do. And I don't like you. And I'm going to go glorified and bless everybody else, all the other preachers and all this. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chew you up and eat you for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I don't want you to see me doing it, so I'm going to unfriend you. I, listen, y- y- y'all know how, we all know how I feel about it. I wrote a blog on it. You can find it at www.com. <laughs> it's spelled... That's anointed spit, brother. See, as long as things are comfortable, people are happy. But don't ask people to sacrifice anything or do anything which might interfere with their comfort. And by the way, in my notes when I was typing this, those in the back back there, they see it. I put in parentheses right after that, preach. That's a reminder to me to stop right there and just preach a little bit. See, the next thing on your notes is this. One of the major enemies of revival is comfortable Christianity. One of the major enemies of revival is comfortable Christianity. We don't think we need a revival if we're comfortable because things are good. We need God to peel the scales back from our eyes and show us the true condition of the world in which we live so that maybe people get on their face and cry out for revival and cry out for God people to get back to the altar. I wonder how many of you are going to be at the prayer meeting. I wonder how many of you are going to be in the gym for one hour on the first Friday of March for one hour out of your life to pray for revival and to pray for, for this house and for the vision and for our community. Wonder how many of you are going to be there? I'd, I'd say right now, if you're all in, if you got one of these on your hands, if you ain't in the hospital and if you ain't got a commitment that you can't get out of, that you can't break or change, you need to put that rubber band on. You need to pick yourself up by your bootstraps and you need to come in on a Friday night and you need to get on your face before God and you need to pray and cry out on the altar of God and cry out for revival. We got air conditioning. We got heated buildings. We got padded pews to sit on. We got a sound system. We got a video. Listen, we don't thank God for having a sound system. We complain when it don't sound right. 
We don't thank God for the fact that we got three screens, four screens in this building. We just complain when, when they don't look the way they're supposed to look. Or the lights are not dim or too bright. Or it's the, the temperatures, oh my God, that church is like an icebox every time I go. I'm freezing to death. Can't even focus for God. But yet people are having church in climates in the mountains of Peru. They're worshiping God when it's 30 below zero and they don't even have a heater. They don't even, their kids don't even have shoes, but they're worshiping God. We're spoiled. Services in other churches around the world last three to five hours minimum. Minimum. You go preach in church in Africa, you're going to be in church for six hours. Then you're going to go get about to eat and you're coming back to church for another six hours at night. I've done it. I went to a church service in Africa one time. They had an hour and a half music. The guy that was introducing me introduced me for an hour. And then I preached for an hour and a half. And then we had an hour altar call. I lost weight on that mission trip. Other countries, they, they have church in buildings who don't even, they don't even have sides. They don't even have walls. Dirt floors. I've been preaching in places, while I'm preaching, rats are running all over in front of the stage. In between people while they're praising God. You're thinking they're praising God, they're just running from the rats. <laughs> if one got loose in here and started running between the pew, we think we're having revival. Praise God. They'd be like, get her, Lord, Lord, look at that. Woo-hoo! They're open air to insects, rodents, that we, I've been in services in this building, almost every building, if one wasp gets loose in here, just one wasp, I'm talking about, yeah, we've had birds in here, while I'm preaching, there's a bird flying around top of me, but I, look, I, I'm not making fun because I was distracted too, y'all know I get distracted by a little piece of glitter, okay, so I'm preaching to myself. But what I'm trying to say is we lose all focus on what God's trying to do because one wasp. But there are churches meeting around the world that are lit, their heads are covered in gnats and mosquitoes that they're having to brush off of them while they're praising God. They sit on the ground while the preachers are preaching. They stand in pouring rain. While it's with no cover, while it's pouring rain, while a preacher stands up under a tree and preaches the gospel, while mamas and daddies are standing there holding the hands of their babies in pouring rain. Many start walking towards church way, way before the sun ever comes up. Some of them walk for four or five hours. I'm not exaggerating. Come to church, stay in church all day long, and don't stay in the community. When it's completely dark at night, they have a trail, and they walk all the way back home. One time we were in the bushes in the, uh, of, of Kenya, a place called Thika. I think that's right. We, we're, being, we're being watched in Kenya right now, so they'll probably correct me. But I think we were in Thika. And we had, we had driven seven hours, of which four hours was on a dirt road through the middle of all kinds of fields and everything. I mean, there's no cell phone, so there's nothing. We're just in a van just going out in the middle of nowhere. When we get there by that day, 
we're getting ready to set up and begin to preach in this village, and we start seeing people come out of the bushes just walking with their families. And the pastor that was with me told me, these people started walking to come and get a uniform for their child that our church had made, I think, about 50 or 60 uniforms for the school children of that area. Had started walking yesterday to come and get their child one uniform that they will wear every day until it completely falls apart. They will hear the gospel, we'll have a meal for them, they will turn around today and they will walk all the way home and it will be tomorrow before they get home. Not just through a jungle, not just through, not just through woods like what we have, but through places that's the real deal. Lions, hippos, rhinoceroses, y'all they're everywhere over there, okay? Elephants to stomp you with their kids. And we can't get up and be at church on time when we live oh my god am i did i just say that when we live we got a car to drive and we just live a few minutes away and we can't get to church on time some of y'all don't even know what it's like to be a part of the first song Y'all still love me? Somebody say it's tight, but it's right. Here's my question to you today. How many is this is us? Hands up, bands up, get them up, get them up. Somebody say, this is us. All right, put them down. My question to you, this is us, SRC family. What have you sacrificed for Christ? What have you given up to further the gospel? See, when the church has a yard sale, you know what happens? We feel so good about ourselves. We give away all the clothes that we don't wear anymore. It's not a sacrifice. We appreciate it. Somebody's going to buy it, or most of the time nobody buys it, and we, ends up just, we end up taking it to the thrift store. Here's why nobody buys it. You know why? They don't want to wear it just like you don't want to wear it. It becomes a sacrifice when you take off out of the closet your favorite dress, your favorite suit. Come on, are you hearing me? When you give that to someone, that cuts a little bit. Don't hurt to give away something that you don't care about anymore anyway. The question is, what have you sacrificed? What has cut you? in your pursuit of Christ. You're not earning anything. I'm not telling you to live a life where you've got to always be cutting yourself. That's demonic. I'm just saying God wants you to get to a place where you see the power of what a giver really looks like. A sacrifice of praise. I gave this illustration a couple days ago. I mean, a couple Sundays ago where I went up and Tried to give Austin $20, but he, he thought he was going to be cute and all this, and he lost $20. He didn't play along with me. Look at that. Of course, your wife immediately went, what were you thinking? We could have went out to eat. You blew it. 
But what I was trying to do is I was trying to slide him a 20, and I was trying to illustrate, now I need you to really praise me. I need you to really tell me about how much you love me, how, how awesome of a pastor I am, and all this kind of stuff. And then I was trying to make the illustration that that was not a praise. That was a bribe. That was a reaction. We're not doing it again. Sorry. I'm sorry. He missed it. So, so if the only time you've ever praised God is, is in response for him blessing you, you've never praised him. You've never praised him. Because praise is not something you do just when somebody's good to you. Praise is something you give on somebody or something because you believe and you have seen the value. A sacrifice of praise is not when you come in here and just, oh, I don't, I'm going to guess I'm going to raise my hands because pastor said everybody raise your hands. No, it's when you push through all your junk and you say, ain't nothing going to stop me from my praise. Ain't nothing going to stop me. I don't care how silly I look. I don't care how silly I sound. I'm going to praise him. You hear that live stream? You hear that Facebook, YouTube? All you social justice people out there want to try to shut me down? Let me tell you something. There's still a church that believes in old-fashioned praise. There's still a church. Y'all ought to get up and praise them right now. There's still a church that believes in shouting. There's still a church that believes in praise. There's still a church that believes that we're going to get in. We're going to push our way in no matter what. You can't stop us. Oh, you can threaten us, you can pass laws, but we're still going to go to the altar. Sit down. Next thing on your notes is this. Sacrifice doesn't mean that you can earn your salvation or favor. I've already covered that. Sacrifice doesn't mean you can earn your salvation of cover or, or favor. It simply means that you have now put more importance, listen to this, on the lives of others than your own wants and desires. You have chosen to give up something so that others may benefit. So real quickly, and I'm going to go through this quick. What are some of the areas of our life? The life of a believer that we have to be willing to sacrifice in our walk with God. Next thing you notice is this. This is us. Everybody say, this is us. We sacrifice self. Self. We sacrifice self. Matthew 16, 24 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. See, you ask Jesus to come into your heart to save you, but you pick up the cross and deny yourself to follow him. A lot of folks have just done the bare minimum and got their name in the book and sat down. Are you hearing me? I've refused to be a bare minimum Christian. I, I'm, oh, don't get me wrong. I'm happy that my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But that was the beginning of my journey. I believe in a, in a God that sent us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. It means that we give up wanting things our way. See, with this kind of sacrifice, when you sacrifice self, you turn from a life of sin 
you make sure that you are purposed in your life to live a life that is no longer the way it used to be. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 4 2. 1 Peter 4 2 says, t- t- tells this about a Christian. We should no longer live the rest of, a, a Christian should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. So my purpose in life when I become a believer is to find the will of God and pursue it. Ephesians 4.24 says, he talks about the Christian puts on a new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. How many of old things have passed away? Behold, all things have become new. So we sacrifice self. The next thing we sacrifice on your notes, this is us. We sacrifice our possessions. We sacrifice our possessions, not all of our possessions, but we sacrifice of our possessions. When someone becomes a Christian and the Lord takes over their life, then their money and their possessions take on a different meaning to them. Takes on a different meaning to them. It becomes, they become tools for the gospel. Do you understand money and possessions for a believer should be seen as not just ways to bless their family and God, they got a problem with that. And I ain't got a problem with you having things nice and wanting things nice and buying things nice. No problem. That's called favor. Amen. How many of those God wants us to prosper? But remember, he prospers us and has us be in good health. The Bible says that it is the Lord that giveth us power to get wealth, comma, that he may establish his covenant. A lot of people just stop right there. The Lord's giving me power to get wealth. You got to read the rest of the verse so that he can establish his covenant. So in other words, he told Abraham, I have blessed you. Therefore, you shall be a blessing. Did y'all hear that? He told Abraham, I have blessed you. Therefore, you shall be a blessing. The Christian begins to recognize that the world's teachings on money and possessions will lead him a direction apart from God, but God's teaching will lead for his possessions and his wealth towards God. Here's the truth. All things belong to God. We are only stewards or temporary managers, and God has entrusted us with that. Will he say to us, well done, good and faithful servant? Do you know where we get that statement? We get that statement from the story of, of a man loaning are giving money to three different t- servants. And says, I'm going to come back and watch what's going on. I want to see what you do with what I'm giving you. Two of them invested it and, and made more from it. The one that got the least only had one talent. Y'all know the story of the talents. Buried it and hid it. Unburied it when they got back and was proud of himself that he did nothing with it but held on to it. Listen to what God says to him. The poorest of all three of them. The one that had the least who convinced themselves the best thing for me to do and for my family is I don't need to lose what I got, so I'm going to keep it and bury it and not do anything with it. Where the other one that had five and one the other had ten went and doubled it. Y'all with me? And poured it into people, invested it into people, got double back. God asked the one with the one, what would you do with it? He said, I buried it. But look at me. I didn't lose it. I kept it, and God said, let me tell you something, what's going to happen to you. He took, y'all, y'all, y'all ain't even ready for this, the one, don't seem fair, from the poorest and the one that had the least, and went over to the guy that had the most of all three of them and said, I'm giving this to you. 
He took it from the least and gave it to the one that had the most. Because here's the reality. It ain't got nothing to do with the amount. It has everything to do with the heart. Are y'all hearing me? Well done. Good and faithful servant. For those that have been faithful over a few things, God will make them ruler over much. Is this good preaching? We sacrifice and they don't like it. It's true. Next to your notes is this. This is us. We sacrifice our time and talents. We sacrifice our time and talents. This one is very pertinent to where we're at in this church. We need people to step up and sacrifice their time and talent. Nowadays, we're so busy, aren't we? Kids playing ball, playing soccer, playing softball, playing football, playing basketball, cheerleading, gymnastics. That's great. It's awesome. You want your kids to live the fullest life they can. And they want you, God wants you to be there for them through it all. But what I'm afraid that we're doing is we're teaching a generation of kids that who now, when I was coming up as, as a boy playing sports, nobody played any game on a Sunday. In fact, y'all going to really freak out some of the, your, your younger parents. We didn't even practice on a Wednesday night because there was nothing going to stop the kids from going to church on Wednesday night. And nobody played a game on Sunday. Now, there's entire groups of people in most churches that for an entire time or a season, you'll never see them in church. They are, they are never there. But here's the thing. They're there for their kids, and that's awesome. But here's my question. What are the kids learning about their pursuit of God beyond their childhood? What has happened to parents teaching their kids to respect this day and to respect God in general? Things that, were, that are expected of a believer. Come on, are you hearing me? We will give our talents and our, and our anointings and our, and our abilities and our time to everyone else. But it's very difficult nowadays to get people to show up for things that need to be done even at the house of God. I'm not just talking about here. I'm talking about every church that goes through this. Sacrifice. Boy, it's quiet in here. Family life has changed so much, hasn't it? It's nothing like it used to be. You know, we used to sit around the table and eat. When's the last time you had a meal with everybody in your family sitting around the table without their phones? Now we sit in a room together and text each other in the same room. We go to sporting events, social events, school-related events. But it's amazing that Sunday, and now instead of it being the day of the Lord, we have taught our kids that that's the day we rest and sleep in and are lazy. We do work in the yard on Sundays because our Saturdays are so full. Our times are so full with doing things that we have no other time to do it because we work like a dog during the week. Long hours, providing for our family. When it comes time to Sunday, it's our only family day. So therefore, God understands that we're going to take this day off for our family. 
I want to ask you a question. Do you think God understands? Go back and read the Bible of what the early church went through just to worship God. Just to even meet. Can you imagine the Acts chapter 2 church taking a day off for family when they're supposed to be in the house of God? Woo, my God, I hope y'all come back next Sunday. I'm not saying that you couldn't ever take a day off on Sunday. Please don't misunderstand me. Go to the lake on a Sunday. Go out to eat on a Sunday. Go, go spend time with your family. Take a vacation. That's not what I'm saying. Because I've got news for you. I'm going to take one myself. But when it's every Sunday, every week, every time something is going on here, Elevate Wednesday. Do you want me to be your pastor? Is Elevate Wednesday, only one Wednesday a month, a priority to you? Do, do you start the month every, every you, you have two things to do outside of Sundays. Elevate Wednesday and first Friday prayer meeting. Other than that, you know, you've got every other Wednesday to do what you want to do. You can come to the classes if you want to. You don't have to. But what I'm trying to say is there comes a time. I know you don't like it. That's why nobody preaches this anymore. It's why I haven't even preached like this in years. Because I fell into the same trap that every pastor's fallen into. But you keep shouting at me that you want me to tell you the truth. That's what you keep telling me. When I'm standing at the back door, you keep shaking my hand and saying stuff like, tell it like it is, pastor, today. That's what we want as a pastor to tell us the truth. But when I tell you the truth, you look at me like you're looking at me right now. Do you want the truth? You can handle the truth. I wish y'all could have snuck back to my childhood and, and looked at this conversation with me and my mama. I just don't feel like going today, mama. I'm going to stay home. <laughs> yeah, that's right. She said, well, I tell you what, I'm going to see what you, is that what you feel? Is that what you feel? You feel like staying home today? Let, let me see what you feel. Stand right here at this window and watch me go to the plum tree. This is what my mom would do. She'd pick one off the plum tree. This is my mom, I promise you. She'd see me looking through the bathroom window, and she'd be looking at me, peeling the leaves off, looking at me going. Taunting me. Come on, you hear me. Most of our parents would have put, been put under the jail nowadays for what they did. But nowadays we like, well, I'm not going to force my kids to go to church. Because I, you know, a friend of mine at work told me they forced their kids to go to church and it turned them against church and they've never been in church in their life. Okay, okay, let me see how not taking your kids to church is going to help you later on when they become an adult. Where is the priority of worshiping together with the believers going to be in their lives? Huh? Be a parent! Somebody shout, I love you, Pastor! I need it right now, y'all. Y'all don't understand. I need it. I've got cuts all over me this morning. I am bleeding profusely. Thank you. Next thing you notes is this. This is the last thing on your note. If our version of sacrifice is comfortable, it is not sacrifice. We've got to come out of our comfort zone because you'll never find a sacrifice in your comfort zone 
This is comfortable for a rubber band. You know why it's comfortable? Because it is not having to do anything. There's no friction. There's no heat. Being, molecules are not being separated. There's no internal things going on. There's no chance that they'll snap. Some of y'all get that later. There's no chance they'll break. There's really no chance of them doing anything. But sitting there, proud of the fact that they are a rubber band. What, do you know your purpose? Of course I know my purpose. Just look at me. I'm a rubber band. My name is written in the rubber band book of life. <laughs> Therefore, I'm a rubber band. How many rubber bands we got in the house? Oh, we're all rubber bands, all rubber bands. But the maker of the rubber band, the creator of the rubber band, looks at that rubber band and says, I don't know what you're so proud of. I know you're, you should be excited that you're a rubber band, that your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but notice I didn't take you from the earth when you were put in that book. Therefore, that means I still have a purpose for you. I still have a destiny for you. Everybody take a deep breath. Blow it out. Woo. Just got hit by something. I don't know if that was anointing or what you had for breakfast. But somebody shout, there's breath in my body. So God's not through with me. There's breath in my body. So I still have a purpose. There's breath in my body. I still have a destiny. There's breath in my body. God wants to stretch me outside of my comfort zone. This is us. We sacrifice. Oh, really? Really? I hear you. You shout real good. But you still look the same. Oh, but pastor, I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm ready to be stretched. You ready to be stretched? You ready to be stretched? All right. All right. You ready to be stretched? Here we go. Ah! Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. I'm under attack every day. I got up this morning, my back was hurting. I got up this morning, my toe was hurting. My dog died, my cat got sick and threw up. My cable got turned off. I ain't, I ain't got no money. My, my gas needle is on empty. I don't know what I'm going to do, Lord. I don't know what I'm going to do, Lord. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. I just don't know what I'm going to do. Oh, yeah, Lord. I feel good now. Things are back to normal. How many of when you're stretched, it's uncomfortable? And no rubber band has within it the ability to know when it's too much. Oh, y'all going to get this in a minute. The rubber band doesn't know. Because here's the thing. Even though they came out of the same box or the same bag, one may pop at one place and another may pop at another place. 
The rubber band doesn't get to decide its breaking point. The only one knows the strength of a rubber band is the one that made the rubber band. So, grab a hold of that. Get ready. You wanted to be a sermon illustration. Why do you do this to me? Come up here. Stand up here. Stand up here. Now watch this. James Michael, you ready to be straight? All right, now, the Bible says, I will not allow you to be tempted, stretched above that which you are able, that with the temptation, the stretching, I will not also provide a way of escape. God is not afraid to stretch you beyond what you think you are capable of handling. You will say things like this to God, God. I just got to be honest with you. This is more than I can take. And God says, watch this. Oh, really? God, I can't take any more. Oh, really? Are you here? You see what I'm saying? Because when we started out, you didn't look nothing like this. This is God's will for your life. The enemy will make you afraid. I tried to break it just then, but it didn't break. I really thought I was going to break it. Look at this. Would you have ever dreamed that would happen? But here's the good news. You allow God to stretch you and not the devil, because the devil will stretch you to the point where he will break you. Because he doesn't have your best in mind. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But if Jesus stretches you, it's for your good. This is what you look like in the hands of God. Let me tell you what's so powerful about it. Don't worry, I'm not going to hurt you. Both of y'all stand up. Y'all, give me two more over here, stand up. Give me, all th- give me the whole front row, stand up, come right in front of me. I ain't going to hurt you, come up here in front. Every one of you, stick your hands inside of that rubber band. Stick your hands inside that. Do you understand when I allow God to stretch me to look like this? Look what I made room for. The entire front row is now being touched by and ministered by me. One person allowed myself to be stretched. You think we get one more? But what you take? Take your hand out. Don't take your hand out. No, no. One hand, one hand each. Watch this. It looks like I'm looking right now. It looks like that's all we can handle. Come here, Jonathan. Come here, John. Come around backside. Put your hand in there. Come here, Randy. Lie down there. Make room for Randy. Hmm. Slide down a little bit. Hmm. Come here, Janet. I gotta give me a little, gotta give me a little smaller hand on this one. <laughs> come around, come around the backside. Put your hand there. Huh. Come here, Scar. Come around. Come around here backside. Put your hand in there. How many hands we got in there now? Count them. Nine. Nine hands in there. But there's, but there's two hands on both sides. But it's really it's just one hand. That's you. So that's you plus nine. That's ten people who were, about, were able to be a part of your life and your impact simply because you allowed yourself to stretch. Now, everybody stay right there where you're at, but take your hands out. 
Every one of you. Now put your hand in there, Jonathan. Don't stretch it. Don't stretch it. Put your hand in there, Jessica. Put your hand in there, Danielle. Put your can't do it, can you? So let it go. So watch this. This is what you look like when you focus only on you. And the only one of this entire group that can ever be touched is you. But when you allow God to stretch you, quit walking away. Get up here, boy. Quit being scared. He needs 20 bucks first. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Let's say ten. So there's ten people, including you, that can be touched by God. Once you allow God to begin to mold you and stretch you. And if every single one of you did that, what, not just would this church on a Sunday morning look like, what would your community look like? What would your neighborhood look like? What would your workplace look like? What would your school look like? What would your city begin to look like? You talking about revival that could break out in Birmingham, Alabama? If everybody in here just let God stretch them that much, where two or three hands could get in there. But until you decide, see, that's the thing about a rubber band. It will not stretch itself. You are going to have to allow God and the people that God has put in your life to, to, to father you, to mother you, to shepherd you, to stretch you. So if you got that rubber band, watch what will happen. Look, look at that. This is not part of my message. Watch this. It doesn't quite fit the way it did before this illustration. See, once you've allowed your... Oh, my, I could preach all day. Once you've allowed God to stretch you, you'll never be the same again. Come on, somebody. You'll never be comfortable again the way you used to be. Somebody get up on your feet and praise Him right now. Somebody shout, stretch me. Stretch me.